Anyway, thank you so much for being here. We are in part two of what we're calling the Jesus Series, and here's what we're doing as a church. From September through the beginning of May, we are talking about... Jesus. Yes, that's what we're doing as a church. We're taking a look at his life in a mostly chronological order. And so you're here for week two of this series, which is great, but you can really jump in at any time and you're going to show up here on a Sunday morning and you're going to hear something about Jesus. And so we have this time on Sunday morning about Jesus. And the reason that we're doing it is because we want to give you the opportunity to get to know Jesus. It's just, it's just that simple. When I was 18 years old, that was the first time that I, I read the Gospels for myself, the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the four biographies of the life of Jesus. And I grew up in a church setting, and I grew up learning, hearing stuff about Jesus. But when I was 18, it was the first time that I read those books for myself. And there were some things I noticed about the ministry of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus. And one of the things I noticed was, were all the parallels there are so many parallels between the world that Jesus was born into, the world that, that Jesus worked in and did ministry in, and our world today. And I know all this takes place so long ago, over 2,000 years ago, in a totally different part of the world, but there are many parallels between the world of Jesus and our world today. One of the things I noticed was how people respond to Jesus, or maybe more accurately, how people approach Jesus. Some people and you'll see this as we go forward in this series, some people approach Jesus with an openness, an open-mindedness, a willing to, to hear him out, a willingness to investigate the claims that he makes about himself, a willingness to observe his ministry and, and consider the possibility that maybe he is a prophet or maybe he actually is the Messiah and perhaps even the Son of God. And so some people approach Jesus with that, that openness and that quiet humility, willing to consider who is this man? What does he have to say? And then other people approach Jesus with a very different attitude and a different heart. They approach Jesus with a, a sense of pride, a sense of, of self-righteousness, you might call it. They take this approach to Jesus where Jesus has to jump through hoops to prove himself to them. They really want to make themselves the, the assessor of Jesus, yes? The judge of Jesus, are you meeting my standards? Are you talking about God and the ideas that you're sharing about God? Do they align with my ideas? Some people approach Jesus and they have themselves in the judge's seat with a prideful approach to Jesus. And so this is what we'll see as we make our way through this Jesus series. And isn't the same thing true today? Some of us approach Jesus and when we consider the possibility that he really is the son of God and that he does offer that salvation, some of us are, are willing to consider the possibility. Just, just hear him out consider that possibility. And yet other people have this, this sense of maybe, again, self-righteousness, this sense of pride, and they're not really willing to consider what Jesus has to say. What you'll see as you make your way through the Gospels is that Jesus identifies these two groups of people as the sinners and the righteous. Now that term sinners, that sounds pretty bad. It sounds like a negative term, but I'm here to tell you when Jesus uses that term, most of the time he's using it as a term of affection. It might not sound that way, but it really is, because he's talking about a group of people who know that they're not righteous, who know that they need something more, who know they need a Savior, and they come to Jesus with that humble spirit. And then you have the other group of people that Jesus refers to as the righteous, and that sounds really great, doesn't it, to be righteous? But when Jesus uses that term so often, it refers to people who are self-righteous, who think they have it all figured out who think they understand God and are not willing to entertain the ideas that Jesus has to 
share. And Jesus comes to the people and he says to them, I'm not here for the righteous. <laughs> I'm here for the sinners. Jesus says, I've not come to call the righteous. I've come to call the sinners. Jesus says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but, but the sick. You know, many years ago, my mom asked me a question about this. She said, you know, Jesus says he's not here for the righteous, but were these people actually righteous? And I said to her, well, they were at least self-righteous. But beyond that, there were people who were very religious and they were obedient. They externally followed the law of Moses. They externally, externally followed the commandments of God that he gave them in the Old Testament. They were doing the right things outwardly. And they worshipped God with their lips. And so there was a, a real righteous way about them. And that they were doing the right stuff. But their hearts, their hearts were far from God. And that's what Jesus says. You honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. You don't care about the things that I care about. And so Jesus enters into the world to minister to the sinners, to people like me, to people like us, to people who need a Savior. Before Jesus enters on the scene, God sends an opening act. God sends a prophet to prepare people's hearts, to prepare their minds, to prepare the way for the Messiah that is to come. And that man's name is John, often called John the Baptist sometimes called John the Baptizer, which is a little bit clunky, John the Baptizer, but whatever. His name is John. We know that much. And so John comes before Jesus, and he's given this very specific ministry. And those of you who've been doing the reading plan, you've read about John, and his birth was foretold by the angel Gabriel, and he enters into the world. And John's a magnificent man with a very difficult job that he has to do to prepare the people for Jesus. And in the ministry of John, we see so much so many of these ideas and so many teachings that Jesus will, will take and run with and then will expand on and expound upon. And so that's John's job. He's called this place. Now, John's father was a priest, and in fact, John's mother was the daughter of a priest. And so John had this lineage, and in those days, he would have, if he would have lived up to his birthright, John would have become a priest himself. But John does not become a priest. Instead, John, he withdraws from the temple worship, he withdraws from the temple system, and he goes out, and he lives as a wild man in the desert, living in caves, eating locusts and wild honey. This is a wild man. Well, John was not alone in this. There were a whole group of people, Jewish people, Israelites by their birthright, who observed the corruption within the temple system, who observed the corruption within their, their own religious order and saw the Sanhedrin, the, that Jewish ruling council, and saw their corruption and, and saw the things that were going wrong with the priests and these empty sacrifices that were being off, offered up. They saw this hypocrisy and they withdrew from that religiosity. They didn't withdraw from God. No, they were, withdrew from religion so that they could seek God. And so John was not alone. There was a group of people referred to as the Essenes, and we believe that John was one of these Essenes. In fact, he was a leader among the Essenes. He was probably the leader among the Essenes, based on what we know from history and the culture of that time. And so John, he does his preaching. He gives his message, but not, not in a synagogue and not in the temple courts. John's out. He's by the Jordan River preaching to the people. And his message is magnetic. His message draws people in. Do you know what he preaches? He preaches a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. You have to realize the audience that John was speaking to. 
a group of people who for generations were going to the temple, going before the altar, laying their sacrifice down before the Lord, watching that lamb slaughtered, and then they just go back to their regular life changing nothing. John said, this doesn't make sense. What God desires is repentance, is true change. You can't just keep sinning and then present your sacrifice. You can't keep doing this. And so he preached this message. What God really values more than sacrifice is repentance. Repent. Confess your sins. God will forgive you. That's what's required for forgiveness is confession and repentance, right? Confess your sins. It's so wonderful to see smiling faces when I'm talking about sin. We have lovely babies in the crowd tonight, and everyone's smiling. Here I am talking about sin, and everybody's just happy. I love it. It's a wonderful dichotomy today. But that's what John's message was, and as tough as it sounded, it was a joyful message. Wait a minute. God values my heart more than my sacrifice? And so people gathered to hear John speak. I'm going to read to us from John, I'm sorry, from Matthew chapter 3. We're going to read about John in the book of Matthew. If you have a Bible with you or your Bible app, you can open that up to Matthew chapter 3. In those days, I'm starting with verse 1, in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John was fulfilling this prophecy spoken so long ago by Isaiah. John's clothes were made of camel hair. He had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locust and wild honey. Mm, mm, mm. What are we having at Hope Cafe today? Maybe we should do a John the Baptist theme Sunday, right? Locust and wild Hyundai. That'll be your last Sunday here. <clears throat> and people went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region, the whole region of the Jordan. And they came before him, not with righteousness, not with pride. But they came to him with humility, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Verse 7, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, before I tell you what he said to them, <laughs> we learn from Luke's gospel that there was a group of Pharisees and Sadducees sent out to see John for the very purpose of assessing and judging. Okay, this guy, he's not officially sanctioned by any of us. Who is this guy and what is he up to? And so here come these men dressed in their fine garments coming out, right? These people who think they know the will of God and the word of God, and they're going to assess John, and then they're going to bring their assessment back to the rest of the Sanhedrin. That's their plan. What does John have to say to that group of people? Let's see. He sees them coming out, and he said to them, You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee the coming wrath? Oh, goodness gracious. That's a bit harsh, isn't it, John? Now, you want to be careful. Whenever you're reading tone in the Scripture, you want to be careful. But it's like, those are some harsh words, right? It's tough to read those gently. Hey, you bunch of snakes, who warned you to flee the coming wrath? No, it sounds, it's harsh words, but here's what you're going to see from John. Those harsh words, who are they aimed at? Not the humble, not the sinners, not the people looking for repentance and wanting to change. Those harsh words were reserved for the self-righteous. And you're going to see Jesus speak the same way to the self-righteous. 
the harshest words that Jesus speaks are reserved for people who think they've got it all figured out, who honor God with their lips, but their hearts are far from him. You brood of vipers who warned you to flee the coming wrath. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. This is awesome. Again, remember, John the Baptist sets the stage for Jesus. He talks about fruit a couple times here. Jesus is going to talk to us more about fruit. And what is he really talking about? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. It's not about just outward obedience to the law. What are you doing with your life? What are you producing with your life? What are you accomplishing? But fruit is more than just what you're accomplishing. What are you, what kind of positive change are you making? Are you caring for the poor? Are you taking care of people? Are you telling them the truth about God? Are you making a positive impact? Where's the fruit? Oh, great. You went and presented your sacrifice to the temple. Awesome. Where's the fruit? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. I got excited and lost my page. Okay, here we go. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. And so there was this idea that existed among certain Jews, certainly those who were part of this religious establishment. They felt like, hey, listen, we're the chosen people, baby. We're descendants of Abraham. We're good to go. I mean, we're, we're saved or we're at least very safe because of our affiliation with Father Abraham. John the Baptist says to them, <laughs> don't think that matters to God. You've got a bloodline connected to Abraham. So what? So what? Where's the fruit of repentance? Where's the lifestyle change? Your lineage, your bloodline, that's not going to save you. Tough words. But remember, who are they directed at? Not, not, not those confessing, not the humble, but, but the self-righteous. These tough words continue. The axe is already at the root of the tree, and every tree that does not produce good fruit, here we go again, will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Say, guys, it's about to happen. The Messiah is coming. And quite literally, Jesus does enter into this world, and he cuts down that whole old religious establishment. After Jesus comes into this world, and after he dies on the cross and is resurrected, there is no longer any need for a temple or any need for those sacrifices, and that whole way of life was cut out from underneath them. Also learn from the other Gospels that the people go out and they ask John, are you he? Are you the Messiah? Are you the Savior? Are you the one that, I mean, you're talking, you're saying all these things. Is it you? And so John is essentially answering that question in verse 11. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance. Just water. This is just symbolic. You know, John the Baptist, John the baptizer, he did not invent baptism. This was a washing ceremony that predated John back in the Jewish culture, if a Gentile person wanted to convert to Judaism and wanted to take on the God of Abraham, they'd go through several step process. And one of the last things that Gentile would do is they would wash off their old identity as a Gentile and come up out of that water as a child of Israel, child of Abraham. And so John kind of takes this tradition that pre-existed and says, we're going to make this about repentance now. And he says, I'm baptizing you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, there's debate and a little bit of confusion of what John the Baptist means by this exactly. We do know that Jesus comes into this world, and he offers to us the gift of the Holy Spirit, and at the end of John's gospel, Jesus really explains who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is God. 
Holy Spirit is the God that lives within us and dwells among us. And so John the Baptist is telling us that when the Messiah comes, he's going to baptize us with more than just water. This isn't symbolic. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, sometimes, here's the tricky thing, sometimes that, that fire is used to symbolize the Holy Spirit, but other times fire represents judgment. And so we have to figure out, well, what is John saying here? I think he's telling people that, that the Messiah is going to baptize you with one or the other. You'll receive the Holy Spirit. You'll receive Jesus as your Savior and receive the Holy Spirit, or you will face the fire of judgment. Remember, harsh words. Who are they directed at? That group, the pride, self-righteous, the proud, the self-righteous. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear. You know what a winnowing fork is? You've probably seen him like old-timey movies. Like the well, let me keep reading. <laughs> his winnowing fork is in hand, and he will clear his, his threshing floor, gathering the wheat into the barn, and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Again, fire used to describe judgment. So this idea of separating the wheat from the chaff, using that that old-fashioned tool. I don't know why I'm miming it. Do you know what I'm even miming here? Separating the wheat from the chaff. That's what Jesus will come and do. And so imagine this scene. You've got a group of people hearing John's message, drawn to the message because it makes sense. This is what God values. Repentance over sacrifice. Repentance. That's what's required for life change, and they're confessing their sins. And so you have the humble of heart listening to John, and then you have a group of righteous, religious people who outwardly obey all the laws of Moses. Two groups of people there as John preaches his message of repentance. And then, who should arrive but Jesus? Now, what group of people will Jesus associate with? So go stand over here with these guys. Assessing, judging, right? Full of self-righteousness. No. What does Jesus do? He hops over here in this line. The line of sinners. The line of people waiting to confess their sins, waiting to be baptized by John. And so there he is. Then Jesus from Galilee, verse 13. Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him. Now, I don't know, listen, I wasn't there, neither were you, but I get the sense that here's John, a very bold man, a very big voice, very confident of his calling, but here he is standing before the Messiah that he's been anticipating, and there seems to be a different tone now to the way John speaks. What is this? Now, it's possible that John could have known Jesus before because John's mom and Jesus' mom were related, so it's possible that John the Baptist and Jesus crossed paths before this point, but up to this point, John didn't recognize that Jesus was and is the Messiah. But now he's face to face, face to face with Jesus. And he tries to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Can you imagine? I know you're like adults and we don't have an imagination when we get older, but can you just imagine being in that line? Because somebody was standing right in front of Jesus and had no idea the guy behind him was the Messiah. And somebody was standing right behind Jesus and had no, no idea. There was nothing in his appearance that would draw us to him. That's what we're told about Jesus. He just looked like a regular guy. And so there he is, a regular guy, humbling himself, standing among the sinners, waiting in line to be baptized by 
John, he was 30 years old, Luke tells us. He's 30 years old when he begins his ministry. 30 years old. By the time you're 30, and some of you haven't hit that marker yet, by the time you're 30, you've lived a life. <laughs> you've done some stuff. You've experienced, I mean, you've lived a life by the time you're 30. So Jesus, up to this point, he has lived a life. His adopted father, his stepdad, Joseph, was a carpenter, and we know that Jesus was also a carpenter. And so I, I can't help but wonder, the day before this baptism, what was Jesus up to? The day before he goes to stand in this line, what was he doing? Was he, and he stands before John to receive this baptism. It should be pointed out that Jesus receives two baptisms. This is his first baptism. And then before his crucifixion, he speaks of that as a baptism. He says, I have a baptism to undergo, a death and a rebirth. And so before he begins to teach, before he begins to perform miracles, he goes before John to receive this baptism. And John the Baptist was right. This is not appropriate. This doesn't make any sense. People are coming to me to confess their sins. Jesus, you have no sins to confess. You're the one who needs to be doing the baptizing here. But Jesus very vaguely and mysteriously says, just do it, John. This is the right thing to do. Just, just do this. Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. And as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened. And he, John the Baptist, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And in that moment, we see the triune God, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this marks the beginning. From this point, Jesus will go. He will teach. He will preach. He will call disciples, and he will perform miracles, and he will show us, show to the world that he is the Son of the living God. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul tells us about this humbling process that Jesus goes through. You know, John chapter 1 tells us that Jesus was with God from the very beginning, from before the beginning Jesus was there, and yet Jesus, he empties himself of his royal standing, his high standing in heaven, and he becomes one of us. He humbles himself to be born in a manger. He humbles himself to stand and align with a bunch of sinners like us. He humbles himself for our sake. And my question for you to consider is are you willing to humble yourself for his sake? I mean, very specifically, we're going through this Jesus series, and maybe you feel like you know Jesus already. Maybe you feel like you've got all your questions answered, or maybe you're very new to this whole thing. Regardless, are you willing to approach Jesus with an open heart and an open mind? Because that humility is required. If you're going to receive what he has to say, if you're going to be transformed by him, we need to come before Jesus with a humble heart, ready to consider, willing to see the miracles, willing to accept him as our Savior. John chapter 1 tells us that Jesus, remember this from last week? Jesus was born into this world. He came to that which was his own, and yet his own did not receive him. And the thing that prevents people from receiving the teachings of Jesus and receiving salvation in Jesus is pride. It's pride that stops us. And so my encouragement to all of us today is to approach Jesus, to approach his teachings, to go through this Jesus series with us, to approach Jesus with a humble heart, because when we approach Jesus with that humility, well, then we can receive from him.
Jesus entered into this world to give us a purpose for our life, to give us an abundant life, to forgive our sins. And Jesus entered into this world to give us the gift that we cannot own, cannot earn on our own, to give us the gift of salvation. If we're going to receive anything from Jesus, we must, we must come before him with a humble heart. Amen? Amen. As you are able, let's please stand together for our closing prayer. Jesus, we thank you for what you have done for us, for the sacrifices you have made for us. We thank you for standing in that line with sinners like us. And so, Father God, we believe that you have called us to, to imitate Christ in his humility. And so let us come before you, Jesus, with a humble heart, and with an open mind, willing to receive from you. Father, we thank you for this time you have given us, this worship service. And now that this worship service is over, we pray that you would allow our worship of you to continue. Father God, let us worship you with our lives. Let us worship you by the way that we love and serve one another and the way that we love and serve you. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.